0: If you would take your Bibles, please, and turn to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians 2. We've uh, been in Colossians for, I guess, three Sundays now. We've, what, we've done what seems to be a jumping around. Now we're not going to do that. We're going to go through it a bit more systematically. Uh, verses 1 through 7 of chapter 2 is, is our passage. Verses 6 and 7 is really the passage. That's where we'll spend most of our time. If you remember, as we've talked the last few weeks... We talked about kind of a new life in Christ. That's sort of what Paul's getting at here. The assumption is that you're a Christian already. He's talking to Christians. He's talking to this young church in Uh, Colossae. It's not how to become a Christian. Paul talks about that many places uh, in his letters, but here it's what do we do now that we are a Christian? What's this new life that we've been called to? Well, that's that's kind of the focus that I want us to uh, consider this morning. Colossians 2, 1 through 7. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore... As you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. Let's pray. Dear Lord, would you be with us now as we study your word? Would you write the truths upon our heart, that we might stand firm in them, that we would walk in obedience? we'd walk in the assurance that we have your love and your grace and your mercy we thank you for this time now would you teach us from your word holy spirit would you teach our hearts would you illuminate these things to us and we thank you for this time of worship it's in christ's name we pray amen i don't know how many of you have seen the movie air force one Uh, air force one is one of my favorites Uh, the main character in this movie is harrison ford he plays the president of the united states and he, relying on his military background, uh, there's a group of terrorists that have hijacked this airplane. And there's a struggle. And in this struggle, all the terrorists but one are either killed or detained. Uh, but there's additional hostages on Air Force One, uh, the good guys. They also have been detained. And so there's a, it's a lot of drama and suspense, as you can imagine, certainly if you've seen the movie. They're in communication with the White House War Room. The vice president and the Joint Chiefs of Staff have have come together to try to communicate, to help, what's going on. In a little bit unbelievable turn of events, they attach a zip line from Air Force One to this cargo plane. And the hostages go down this zip line onto a cargo plane that's called Liberty 2-4. And so, the, as we reach the climax of the movie, you see Harrison, all the hostages are off. The only two people left on the plane are Harrison Ford, the president, and then this main terrorist, okay? and he, Harrison Ford's about to get onto the zip line and the terrorist reveals himself and there's this struggle and then there's radio silence. People in the White House have no idea what's going on. All they can see is that Air Force One has crashed into the ocean. And so despair and and sadness overcomes them but finally they hear the wonderful words on the famous quotes of that movie. Liberty 2-4 has now changed call signs. Liberty 2-4 is now Air Force One. At that point, of course, they knew that the President of the United States was safe. He had made it safely aboard this cargo plane. You see, for this cargo plane, Liberty 2-4, once the President came aboard, everything changed. (laughs) The value of the plane, the worth, the identity, the fighter jets are now pointed at it, trying to protect it, because the President of the United States was now aboard. Everything changed for that plane in that moment. As Christians, if Christ is aboard our lives, if you will, everything has changed also for us. We're not the same anymore. We're not a guilty, condemned sinner anymore. We're a saved, redeemed saint. So it's got to be evident in our lives. It's got to be evident in our thinking. It's got to be evident in the things that we do if we really have been changed, if we are united with Christ. How is it for you? Again, Paul isn't talking about, in this passage, how to become a Christian. He assumes that the people he's writing to are Christians, and he's trying to encourage them. You are united with him. Walk in him. Be built up in him. Be rooted in him, he says. Paul's main concern in verses 1 through 5, which I just want to touch on very briefly, that these these Colossian Christians would be of the same heart and mind. He says it in verse 2, that they would be knit together. These false teachers, as Chip mentioned, are really troubling this church, trying to pull them apart, saying, you know, this Christ, he's great, but there's just there's more that you need. There's this extra knowledge. There's this deeper level of understanding that you need to achieve. Believe in Jesus all you want, but there's more that you need to get to. Does that sound familiar? You ever feel that pressure? Jesus is wonderful, but there's more. There's, there's better for you. There's more that you need. Paul's saying that's not true. All you need is Jesus Christ. He's of vital importance. If you remember an illustration I used a couple of weeks ago about the counterfeit intelligence division of the CIA. They have this counterfeit intelligence division, and one of their main roles is analyzing currency. Now, they don't study all the different ways you can counterfeit currency. They study the one true bill so that when a counterfeit comes across their desk, oh, clearly that's counterfeit because they know the actual currency so well. This is what Paul's trying to get the Colossian Christians to see. He's holding up Jesus Christ, look at him, look how wonderful he is, and any heresy, any false teaching that comes across their way, it's going to jump off the page at them because they know Jesus so well. What they believe about Jesus is of vital importance. It's going to, this, if you know who Jesus is, these false, these false teachers are not going to trouble you so much. The antidote for the Colossians and for us is to receive Christ and to be rooted in him. It's through the preaching of Christ. Colossians can stand stand side by side saying, no, we're not going to listen to you. All we need is our Savior. He's everything we have. He's everything we need. He's everything we are. He's our power. He's our standing. He's our righteousness. Christ is all that we need. You may have heard the little saying before that the indicatives of the gospel drive the imperatives of the gospel. The, or as I like to say it, the state of being verbs of the gospel drive the action verbs of the gospel. I am in Christ. I am justified by faith. It's, it's who I am now that I have Christ. That drives the how I ought to live for him of the gospel. I hope that makes sense. Who we are drives what we do. So Paul begins. Paul begins. If we truly have received Christ and been united to Him, then this must be evident in the way we think, in the way we live, in the way we persevere, and ultimately, as He ends our passage, in our gratitude. So let me talk about this passage in three ways. It's taken directly from the text, no alliteration, as you maybe you're used to. Sorry, verse uh, point one: As you received Christ, so walk in Him. See. There seems to be amongst these Colossian Christians a strong desire to grow deeper in Christ, which, of course, is a wonderful desire to have. I hope that we all have that. You want to grow deeper. You want to trust more. You want to see measurable progress. Paul's saying in these two verses, that's great, but this is really hard work. This isn't an easy thing. It's not just, it just kind of happens. It's something you really have to work at. We're to live lives worthy of the Lord, Paul says elsewhere. So we receive him, now we walk in him. But first we have to receive Christ. Okay, that's, that's the first part of this first clause or phrase. You know, today we use phrases such as someone needs to pray to receive Christ or they need to make a profession of faith. We talk about it just in terms of what we do and not necessarily in terms of what we receive. I'm not trying to put down those phrases. I think they are wonderful. But I think Paul had more in mind than what we have in mind when we use those phrases. What did it mean for the Colossians? That they received the truths that were preached to them, and that they believed them. That they believed that they were sinful people, and they couldn't do anything about their problem. They believed that Christ died on the cross, and since he did, it solved that problem. He paid that penalty, and that he rose from the dead. And if they're united in Christ in his death, they'll also be united with him in his resurrection, It's what they staked their whole lives on. Everything was on the truths of what Jesus had done for them. I think this is a very important point. This first idea of receiving Christ before walking in Him. It's it's vital for our understanding. I think it's also vital for our evangelism. Because we're not calling people to just change the way they live. I'm not just calling someone to have a new idea or a new theory about sexuality or morality or business practice. I'm not just asking them to change the way they live. I'm asking them to change their heart. I'm asking them to receive Christ. It isn't just asking them to adopt a new religion or a new view of self-esteem or some new motivational one-liners. We're asking them first, receive Christ. Receive what he's done. Walk in him. And then walk in him. We must first see who Jesus is, see our need for him, before we can desire to do what He says. It's what John Calvin says. The Bible says we walk in Him. Calvin interprets that as we continue in Him. We receive Him. In other words, our conversion isn't the end. The fact that we have become a Christian, it's not somehow, okay, great, I'm a Christian, now I can just kind of go on and do whatever I please. The conversion is the beginning, and now the rest of our lives is walking in Him, our sanctification. We receive Him by faith, and that we begin a life with him. One commentator said that no man can be said to be truly converted to Christ who has not bent his will to Christ. He may give intellectual assent to the claims of Christ and may have had emotional religious experience. However, he is not truly converted until he has surrendered his will to Christ as Lord, Savior, and Master. Can we really say that we've received Christ if we don't follow him? Can we really say that we've received Christ if we don't obey His commands? We take Scripture as mere suggestions, not as actually how I must live my life as a follower of God? Can I say that I've received Christ if I don't trust Him with my life and I want to just do everything myself? Can we really say that we've received Christ if we insist on our own will and not on God's? You see, to truly receive Him means that we must submit to him. They go hand in hand. To receive him means to walk in him. It means to submit. It means to submit to his authority and to his will. He has changed my heart, but it must also mean that he's changed my actions. You see, I think some of us, if we're really honest, and you wouldn't ever say this out loud, we don't really want to be saved from our sins. You want to be saved from the penalty of your sin and the fact that you're not going to have the wrath of God and all that's going to be taken and you're going to be forgiven. But in this life, do you really want to be saved from your sin? That the Lord would give you power to no longer do the things that displease him. It's kind of like, have you ever done something wrong and someone called you out for it and they were angry and you're, I'm so sorry, please forgive me for doing that. Are you sorry that you did it? Are you just sorry that you got in trouble for it and that the person is now upset with you? Why are you really sorry and upset? Do you really want salvation if it means you've lost the authority and the leadership of your life and you must give it now to Christ? Of course you want a Savior, but do you want a Lord as well? If you're going to receive Him, you must also walk in Him. That's our first point. Point number two, as you are rooted in Christ, be built up in Him. Paul, I think, is implying here that there's an expectation of progression. Okay, we we're moving forward. We're getting better at this, if you will. Okay, if we're firmly rooted and planted in Christ, we we're built up in Him. We grow. My wife and I uh, aspire to be green thumbs, uh, but quite frankly, we're black thumbs because anything we plant dies within one to two weeks. Uh, anything we plant dies within one to two weeks and I don't know why we we do the miracle grow you know we do the water and and we've we've to follow all the rules it never works so we've tried it again a week ago we planted what's called creeping fig some of you know what that is basically it's just a vine okay we want this vine to grow up the side of our house cover some of these ugly vents and this window box and we trim it from time to time Uh, more on that later I'll let you know how that goes but we followed all the rules. We, plant, we don't plant it near other plants. It doesn't need to compete for nutrients and for space. We tried to follow all the rules. It needs its roots to go wide, and it needs to go deep. Hopefully, that's going to work this time. You know, the same is true for us. If we're going to be rooted in him, we need our roots to go deep. And again, this takes time. We want to grow deeper with him. We want to know him better. We want to submit to him. But if we're not firmly rooted in him, then we're going to be blown about by every wind of doctrine, every new charismatic speaker, every new idea that comes along. Ooh, maybe this is right. Oh, but maybe maybe there's something here for me. No, we need our roots to go deep in Christ, is what Paul's telling us. And perhaps he had Psalm 1 in mind when he wrote this. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. The righteous man is planted by streams of water, is planted by the word of God, continually, constantly nourished by it, and is not blown about when something new or something difficult comes along imagine some of you have seen this cartoon. Uh, I know some of you have, have posted it on social media the last couple of weeks. It's You know the cartoon Peanuts, the Charlie Brown characters? You may have seen this uh, cartoon. It's this little boy and little girl. They're looking outside the window, and it's pouring down rain. So the little boy says, man, look at the rain. Well, well what if it floods the whole world? Very distraught little girl looks at him and says you know it will never do that because in the ninth chapter of genesis god promised noah that that would never happen again and the sign of the promise is the rainbow and a sense of relief comes over the little boy's face and he says what you've taken a great load off my mind thank you and she looks at him and says well you know sound theology has a way of doing that do you find yourself worrying less and less about your life because you've grown in your confidence that you serve a God who takes care of those that he loves? Do you find yourself worrying less and less about pleasing others and finding acceptance in other people's eyes because you're so confident in your Savior's love for you? Do you find that trials and struggles of life don't bring you down as low because you know you serve a sovereign God that has all things under control? And do you increasingly find your identity and value in the eyes of your Savior who loves you unconditionally rather than in the world that's full of conditions i'm not asking you are you perfect i'm asking you are you growing are you progressing are your are your roots going deeper in christ i'm just asking are you making progress i'm not saying do you do it perfectly every time every time nothing ever causes you to doubt that's not the question are you progressing how would you answer this for yourself Do a self-diagnosis. What would your spouse say to you? What would your close friends say? Ask them sometime. How do you see me growing? How do you see me progressing? How do you see me trusting Christ more? Maybe the answer is you're not. And you need to pray that the Lord would, would allow you to do that and that you would draw nearer to him, trusting him more. Point number three. As you were taught Christ, be established in the faith. There's some similarities uh, between point two and point three, but one distinct difference, I think. As you were taught, be established in the truth, or be established in your faith, as some of your translations may say. This exhortation in two and three is is, is similar, but the call in, in this third point to be established in the truth or in faith is a call to learn. Christianity is a life of learning. Our understanding of him needs to grow. Our understanding of Scripture needs to increase. Our understanding of theology needs to grow. Our memorization of Scripture, writing these truths on our heart, needs to grow. It's what helps. I'm learning this with our little son, Nathan. Or, excuse me, our little I've already. I do that all the time. Now. I'll call Nathan Miles and Miles Nathan. Probably if you have more than one kid, you do that too. Miles is our little infant son. And right now, all he, all he needs and all he wants is milk. But one day, he's going to move on to those delicious pureed vegetables and meats, Right? Soon that'll happen. And then he'll move on to solid foods, and then his palate will continue to mature, and he'll, maybe he'll, he'll enjoy spicy food or more complex, uh, complex foods. The same is true of the Christian. We begin with spiritual milk, and we move on. We progress into solid food. It's what the author of Hebrews talks about in Hebrews chapter 5. It's not that we grow out of the gospel or grow out of the things that we learn. We grow deeper with them. we, We understand how to apply them to more and more of our life. It makes more and more sense. We love God deeper and deeper because we've been walking with him over and over and over. The author of Hebrews says that the mature are those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Again, becoming mature in Christ takes time. Daily, we discern good from evil and right from wrong. We see the depths of our sin and the depths of God's goodness and faithfulness. We see how much we need grace and mercy, and we see how more lovely our God becomes. But it takes time. There's a new commercial that's out by Under Armour. If you don't know Under Armour, it's basically this sporting apparel line, uh, sporty, uh, sports clothing. And the, uh, the athlete on there is Stephen Curry. Stephen Curry is a professional basketball player. In fact, he was the most valuable player this past season in the NBA. And so as the commercial begins, it's Stephen Curry in his workout gear. He has two basketballs in his hand. He looks like he's in the middle of nowhere. And he starts dribbling, both of these basketballs. And you hear his voice in the background, day in, day out. Day in, day out. Day in, day out. He says this over and over and over again, and then... The camera pans back, and now there's two Stephen Currys, and then three, and then four, and then 500, basically, Stephen Currys. And they're all dribbling the basketball, doing different, different dribbling drills. in the same refrain, day in, day out, day in, day out. Day. At the very end of the commercial, it comes back to just him. He stopped dribbling. There's sweat pouring down his face. Clearly, he's been working hard. He takes a deep breath, picks the basketballs up again. Day in, day out, day in, day out. What he's implying is, yes, I'm a good basketball player, but I didn't get here just because I have all these natural abilities, although he has a lot of natural abilities. I'm good. I was an MVP. We won the championship last year because day in and day out, we practice. I practice shooting. I practice my ball handling. I do strength training. I, I do conditioning. I lift weights. Day in, day out. Day in, day out. The same is true for us, isn't it? first press. If you want to grow deeper with him, if you want to trust him more and love him more deeply, then day in, day out. Day in and day out. I read my Bible. I pray to him. I ask for him to teach me more and more. I ask for him to bring me through the trials of life. Day in, day out. And that's how I grow deeper. That's how my faith gets. I'm deeply, more firmly rooted in him. It takes time. But we don't want to hear that because we want to microwave everything. We want instant results. I want it it now. I want the depth now. I don't want to have to go through all the trials to receive it. We don't want to hear about the ordinary means of grace, because it's ordinary. But the word sacrament and prayer, day in and day out, is how we get to know him and love him more. It's why, young believers, you need to have relationships with older believers. Younger couples in the faith, you need to have a relationship with older couples in the faith. They've seen more life than you have. They're wiser than you are. They've had more practice. And the wisdom that they have can be of great benefit to you. You need to hear their stories. They're going to tell you of trials and they're going to tell you of failures, but they're also going to tell you of how faithful their God was to them day in and day out. Older believers, would you please have relationships with younger believers? I don't know what I can do. I I don't know where my ministry needs to be. Pour your life back into younger believers. Tell them of what the Lord has done for you day in and day out so that you can encourage them and help them to grow deeper in their love for their Savior. I found in older believers they are often unflappable. It's not that trouble never comes their way. It's not that they don't mourn or struggle or doubt. It's that their foundation is sure, and they know where to turn every time something difficult happens. We never outgrow the truths that led to our conversion. We never outgrow the understanding that we're sinners and that we're deeply depraved without hope. We never grow out of the understanding that we need Jesus. It just gets deeper. It gets deeper and deeper and deeper. Do you see your need for this? We don't outgrow it. It just grows deeper. How do we know we've gotten this? What's the spiritual litmus test that we can take? Well, I think that's how Paul concludes this passage abounding in thanksgiving. It's gratitude. You know you've really gotten it when you're really grateful for what he's done, and you're constantly revisiting how thankful you are for what Christ has done. This seems to be the culmination of it all. It's gratitude. Can we really say we've grasped the gospel and all that Christ has done if we're not overflowing? Uh, He uses the word abounding. It's like It's just bubbling over. There's so much of it, it can't be contained. You're so thankful because you know what you once were and you know what you now are in Christ. And your thanksgiving is, well, of course I would obey him. Of course I would submit to him. Don't you see what he's done for me? Don't you see what he's done for us? Don't you see what he's done for his church? It's our faith, which led to our justification, which now leads us out into this world be sanctified. This new life we have in Christ, we trust more and more and deeper and deeper. Yes, we put our sin, we mortify our sin, we put it to to death because our guilt and shame has been taken away and all of this is a gift from God. You see, we often just think about grace and mercy in terms of our salvation, and and we rightly should. Grace has been given to me, therefore I'm saved. The gift of faith has been given to me unto salvation. And Somehow we think the grace has stopped there. It is for our salvation, it is for our justification, but God continues to pour out grace upon you so that you might live for him, so that you might continue on and be rooted and be built up and to grow deeper. Do you ever consider that? That the goodness that you see in yourself, the faith that you see in yourself and others, the faith that you see around the world, it's also by grace that that's allowed to happen. Yes, we put forth effort. Yes, we are required to have faith. We're required to do good. We are. But when you see that in yourself, it's also by grace. I think I've used this illustration before. I told my Bible study the other night that I'm to the, I'm, I've been here long enough at first president, I just can't remember what stories I've used. So sorry if I used this like a couple of weeks ago. Some very sweet words that, that are said in my house is when my wife looks at me and says, Honey, I'm making lasagna tonight. That's gospel news in the Wyatt household. My wife is an excellent cook, but particularly her lasagna is top of the line. It's very, very good. And so when Nathan and I are sitting at the table, we're ooing and eyeing over this lasagna. Oh, honey, this, the sauce and the spices, this is excellent. The garlic bread and the salad and everything. Oh, this is delicious. We're praising the food, but who are we really praising when we're saying all that? We're praising Lauren. The, f- the noodles and everything are not just good by themselves. They have to be put together. She has to follow a recipe, and it's delicious. The same could be said of a wonderful novel that you've just read. Oh, this is a beautiful story, and can you believe how it ended? And, man, the character development was just second to none. This is a wonderful story, and you want to recommend it to somebody else. When you're talking about how great the story is, who are you really praising? Are you praising the story? Or are you praising the author of the story? You're praising the author. Again, when you see this progression, when you see this walking deeper with Christ in yourself and in others, praise the one who allowed you to do that. Praise the one who gave you the grace to do that. Praise the one who saved you, and praise the one who allows you now to walk deeply and closely with him. Thankfulness is a good test of the spiritual state of our heart. False teachers, anger, resentment, fear, anxiety, they have little impact on a thankful heart. Because thankfulness takes us back to Christ, to the one that we first received. It's as if the circle comes back all the way around. We're thankful again for what Christ has done in our hearts to save us. And then it shoves us back out to go live for him, to continue in a life walking closely with him. To the Christian this morning, are you living in that joy? Do you see that thankfulness in your heart? walking in Christ with thanksgiving for all that he's done for you, none of which you could have done for yourself. To the non-Christian who may be here, to the skeptic, to the doubter, to the uncertain, don't you see that our hope and joy is not in ourselves and nothing that we have done? We don't think we're better than anybody. We think we have a Savior who's accomplished everything that we needed. We don't think that us doing accomplishes We think we trust in a God who's accomplished everything on our behalf. We don't have to bear the sin and shame and guilt any longer. We've laid it at Jesus' feet. He carried it for us, and he gives us a burden that is far lighter and far easier. And you can be freed from that today. Would you receive Christ? Receive him for all that he's done. And that we would go out in the joy and thanksgiving that is rightfully ours because of all that has been done for us. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for our time this morning together. We thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that at every moment, at every step, there is grace from you. There's grace unto salvation. There's grace unto sanctification. Lord, would you give us the strength to walk in that grace? Lord, you do require us to be obedient, that we would see that. But knowing all the obedience we see comes from you. Lord, would you be with us now as we Go to Sunday school. Would you give us a sweet time of fellowship and study there? But thank you for this time we've had this morning. Thank you that you are worthy of our worship and that we would offer it gladly to you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.